As we, uh, as you find your way uh, to your seats, we will be, uh, we will be standing here shortly and, and reading um, our text for today. It's uh, Genesis 11. We're going to be uh, looking at the Tower of Babel. As you, uh, as you find uh, your way there, uh, Genesis 11. Um, we're kind of at the tail end of a uh, of a series here. Um, in uh, in Genesis, uh, we've been in about 10 weeks in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And uh, we've been looking at uh, not simply how did God create or what did he create or, or, or anything like that, but uh, it's been more on the idea of why did he create? What is our meaning? What is our purpose? Uh, how are we to relate to God, to ourself, and to others? And, uh, and this, uh, I mean, this text has just been a, uh, a treat um, to prepare for all of us. And um, yeah, Babel is the struggle we have each day in our own lives, and I hope that today uh, it can be uh, a clearer how, how Christ is, uh, is actually an answer to Babel. So uh, out of reverence for God's word, I'd ask that if you're able to, that we stand as we hear how God has revealed himself in, uh, in, in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and, and the tower uh, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and it is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they will purpose will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord had confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So uh, I don't know exactly the date, but it was uh, a few weeks ago, maybe even months ago, if I'm that far behind, that the, uh, the iPhone 11 was released. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's real great. Um, it's the next thing. As Apple says, it's like life changes as we know it. Uh, it's kind of what they do. Um, and uh, so... We don't have them at our home, but um, I don't think that there's been one piece of, of technology that has made my children want uh, thousands of dollars to purchase one of these phones more than the iPhone 11. Specifically, one of the features, in, in, in the iPhone 11, you can actually like, make your face look like a unicorn and talk. <laughs> it's, it is, okay, we have three kids under the age of seven. Right there. It's amazing. We, our phones can't do it, so I just act like a unicorn. It's super weird. Um, but this will do it. Uh, if you have that, you have the feature, guys, that you weren't using. Uh, you need to. It has other options, but unicorn, who's going to not do that one? 
Um, so that's, that's kind of at our house. Where does this mean for Babel? I don't know. Uh, no, but the, uh, the other features they have um, on there is, is, one, is this, this crazy idea. They have like three different lenses or whatever, and they have these different ways that you can shoot pictures. They're realizing that we use our phones as our, it's like legitimized that is our camera, right? Like we're no longer in this, like I have a camera and a phone. I think we've been out of that for like a decade now. But, um, but they're really leveraging into this. One of the features that they're like really focusing in on is this portrait mode. Um, because if you are like me, I have, I don't even know what, iPhone like seven or something. Uh, iPhone old is what I have, and so it means I'm not cool. Uh, and so what, what happens when you, when you do this, if you've ever done this, uh, so I'm gonna explain it if you don't know how this works. You take a picture with your phone, right? And you, and you frame it up, and most of the time it's like, okay, cool, that was easy, it's really super easy. Uh, but sometimes it does this thing where it can't find where to focus, and it like jumps around. Have you ever had that? Can I get some nods here? Yes, is that a thing? Okay. And you're like, ah, 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 this is what happens. Then what do you do? Okay, here's, here's, here's a pro tip. If you don't know, you touch it. You touch where you want to, to do it, and it's, it goes in focus. It changes the light settings, changes the aperture, it focuses, it knows where to go. So if you didn't know how to get rid of that horrible vortex of fuzziness, uh, then, then you just tap where you want to go, and, and it happens. Um, so they're trying to leverage, not simply on making that easier, they're like focusing in on like the portrait mode is just incredible. It, it, it focuses on the person, it blurs all the rest, and it's just, oh my goodness. We're not going to have professional photographers uh, if iPhone 12 comes out. So it'll be, uh, it'll be pretty incredible. Uh, this, I think, happens at Babel. This happens with us a lot, is that we're, we were given a task to do. I mean, this is, this is right going back to Genesis 1. Uh, we're given a task to do. We're supposed to cultivate the earth. We're supposed to fill the earth and, uh, and, and subdue it, have dominion over it. We're to image God rightly. But there's this thing that happens. And if you ever had, I hope all of you, have, that, that a movement of in and out, not knowing, we, we do that. We get like out of calibration. We get blurry. Our vision gets really blurry of what we're supposed to be doing. I think sometimes we have so many aspirations of what we want to do in life that, that we forget what, what is the focus? Where am I supposed to be? Is it, is it work? Is it is it, is it my finance? Is it my, is it my, is it my, uh, am I my children? My, is, it, is it God? How do I fit this in? And we have that feeling in our hearts. We have the feeling in our minds of just not knowing what we're supposed to do uh, in life. The people at Babel have that. They chose it. Oftentimes, uh, oftentimes what, we, uh, what we end up choosing is, uh, is to, to, to live in that world of, of, uh, of wrong focus. And so I want to I I take us there today. Could you, uh, could you pop up that, uh, that, that first slide, please? This is our outline today. Uh, three phrases, it's one sentence. When our priorities become blurry, God refocuses us so that we may glorify Him. Now, that's painfully short, but we'll develop it. When our priorities become blurry, that's point one. Point two, God refocuses us, and then point three, so that we may glorify Him. Him. It is what we are designed to do. So I just want to jump in this. If you have a Bible, uh, I'm hoping that you're there. Genesis 11, 1, we are going to read through these verses um, and, uh, and, and just kind of see how this, how this plays out. Um, yeah, point one, when our, priorities, uh, when our priorities become blurry. Verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. I'm going to pause right there. 
Uh, one of the big things we need to know is the whole earth had one language and the same words. If you've got one of your scripture journals or you're okay writing in your own Bible, that one language, that's a big deal here. It's going to come up several times. The idea of one language is a big deal. But then we get this word shinar. So I want to back this up a little bit. In the book of Genesis, we've talked about this several times. In the book of Genesis, there's a structure. Every book of the Bible has a structure. Genesis structure goes off of this. In English, it, it, it says, and these are the generations of... And then it kind of gives you, this is what became of them. The fancy, you know, it's not fancy, but it's just the Hebrew word is toledot. It's the toledot pattern. It's the structure that's there. This is what came of them. So we've seen a couple of these. Uh, we, we've started with, uh, this is what became of uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, this is what became of Adam. This is what became of Noah. And now, not in chapter 11, but at the beginning of chapter 10 is part of our structure. We're actually at the tail end of this. This is what, these are the generations. This is what became of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we're in this structure. We're figuring out what, what happened after the flood. What's going on? And so using our uh, structure that's helpful for us, and we're also going to use kind of the literature within that because it's going to set us up to understand why the word Shinar is here, why the word Babel is here, because it's not the first time they're mentioned. So what happens, just a little just backtracking so we get to the point where we know what we're doing. Uh, Noah and the flood, we, we paused last week uh, with uh, Noah and his family come out. They're the only ones left. They come out of the ark. They've, they've, they've received salvation from God. His wrath is on mankind. Sin, wages of sin is death, and he showed that in the flood. Okay, that's where we're at. He comes out, and they come out a worshiping community because the first thing Noah does out of the ark is he builds an altar and sacrifices to God, and then we paused. What happens right after that? Oh, this gets fun. Uh, so uh, Noah it lets us know that he's just like us. Uh, uh, he becomes a man. It says he becomes a man of the soil. So he's not a man of the ground because the ground is cursed in Genesis. We always remember this. He's a man of the soil, different word. So we know that he's a righteous man. He then goes on to make a vineyard. He makes the first vineyard. If you like, I'm not going to do a show of hands. If you like wine, uh, you, can, you can toast to, no, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that that far. Uh, but he creates a vineyard. And he uses that vineyard and gets drunk. And that's right there in the text. His son Ham shows up. And he doesn't cover him. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't remove the shame. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He goes against his brothers. He's like, hey, dad. Is, is something's going on. And so then, uh, so then Shem, Japheth, they come up, they cover him. And so then Noah comes too, and he says, cursed are you, Ham, because you didn't do what you were supposed to. And so cursed will be Canaan. Cursed will be your line. And so that's bringing you up. This is, I think we're getting into chapter 10 now. So then we follow, this is what became of Noah and his sons. If we hear their genealogies, for the sake of time, I'm going to focus in on Ham, the cursed one. He has, a, um, he has a, uh, one of his sons, his name is Nimrod. Great, it doesn't translate to English because that's just rough. I'm a Green Day fan, so all I think of is the album cover with the Nimrod on the face. That's it. Um, so I don't know what he looks like because I just have a yellow dot with Nimrod. Um, the, uh, so he's, this guy, he's, uh, he, he, he goes and he makes this city and town in the land of Shinar, and the name of the town is Babel. <gasps> there we go. So we've already got some setup here that this cursed line is going to Babel. So as the literature unfolds itself, getting into our text today, we're only two sentences in, if we're reading the Bible as it's meant to be read, we should already know, uh-oh, we got a problem. These guys at Shinar, they're not good, they're cursed, this is not going to go so well. So we should already be there 
uh, as we read. And we can do this. We just read and think about it and draw the lines to where is this being said. It's something that you can do. That's all I did is look at Ham. I looked at Shinar. I looked at Babel, and I found it. It's how we weave together how God's moving through the story. And it's so wonderful how it's put together. So that's where we're at. Now, these people, the descendants of Ham, that have moved into the, the, the land of Shinar, and now they're going to have this town called Babel, which we'll find out in uh, verse 9. Here's what they do. Verse 3, they get blurry priorities. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Well, this is what God said. He said, cultivate, cultivate, fill the earth, be, be good in, in this. Uh, uh, take the things and, and, and do things with them. So here, this is good. What are they going to do with it? And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now I'm going to uh, take the King James out of that one. Uh, let, let us make a name for ourselves so that we will not be dispersed over the face of the earth. So uh, here is what, uh, what we see here. Um, it's small. You don't need to actually read everything in there. The first verse, now the whole earth had one language. That's where we start, right? So the rest of this is all just diagramming. Uh, verse 4, we hear what the people say. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city and let us build ourselves a tower. What do we learn about the tower? They don't just say, let's build a city and a tower. They say a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Oh, that is trouble. And what is their purpose? So that we will not be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Okay, as Bible readers, as we're coming up to this point, what is told several times to know when they get out of the ark? Be fruitful and multiply. And what the people of Babel say is, let's hunker down and be great. Ah! This is not going to go well, guys. Like, I just want to be there. Be like, no, 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 no. There is a God in heavens, and he is not going to like this. You're going to poke him with your tower, and you're going to make him mad because you are doing what you're not supposed to do. Now, the people that are in the Bible are not just simple, dumb punching bags for us to look at them and say, oh, you stupid people. That's us. It's written so that we would know this. It's written so that we would understand and see that we have towers of Babel in our own lives, that we make cities. I think it's so funny that, they, that, that, what, that what we read a lot of times, this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Well, I don't know if it's really the Tower of Babel. I feel like it's more like the city of Babel that happened to have a tower because the tower is completed. We read that the tower is complete, but the city remains incomplete. This tower is to make a cool name for themselves, but then the city is to secure it so that their name can be protected. I'm going to flip that around if you haven't turned those gears quite yet. We have bricks and mortar that we use in our own lives. Our network, our, 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 our professional network, we use them to build our tower. We work long hours. Our own energy goes in to building that tower. We, uh, we use up our relationships. This is a big one because we don't go. We use our bandwidth that we would have normally for relationships. What Genesis 1 says we're purposed for from the beginning to be in deep relationship with God, self, and others. And we use that relational uh, collateral there and, and we put that into our job and our networks uh, instead of going deep and real with people. 
We use it instead of focusing on our responsibilities. I mean, I'm a guilty father here. I have a bag that I, I, I have to like put by the door. It is a thing that I've committed to with my wife. I will put my work bag by the door as a symbol that work stopped here. That sounds really great. You guys can pat me on the back. I don't do that. I, I, I set it there and then I think about it. How many of you do work emails before you go to bed? Yeah, we do that. We do that. How many of you wake up? So I'm not a night person. I just pass out when I put my kids to sleep. Like green eggs and ham, I'm out. Uh, the, uh, uh, but in the morning, man, four in the morning, shh, my bricks and mortar are screaming at me. And we build our towers. What is your title? What are your cars, your clothes, your kids, whatever those things are? You take things that were your resources and you use them to adorn your crown. Your fitness to show that even though I work long hours, somehow I look like I run marathons, even though my work doesn't demand it. Because I'm on top of things. Because I got it. I'm making a name for myself. I can do it all. And then we build that city around us. We have that security. We have our resumes, our CV. We have our homes. We have our paycheck. Let us make a name for ourselves, they say. Here's how we're going to do it. Uh, the ESV Bible uh, has a, uh, there's a uh, study Bible, ESV study Bible. You guys should get one of those. It's just a gold mine. Uh, it's, it, it explains the Tower of Babel this way. It says, uh, what is it? The enterprise of Babel is self-sustaining independence from God. <laughs> self-sustaining independence from God. And I don't think that this is only on, a, uh, on an individual level. I think sometimes we do this as a church. You know, uh, I mean, just we've done this. We have a culture right now uh, in America that just tries, like our churches try to do something more than what God calls us for, uh, calls us to do. In the name of conversions, we grow. I'm not quite sure if we're converted. It's a, it's a thing in our culture. Uh, it's, not it's not just part view. I think we all have to be, we all have to be weary. We have to be cautious that even as a church, we could say this is always protected from God. But I'm really troubled with the state of church in America because, I don't know, I feel like we're building, building a bunch of babbles. When our priorities become blurry, God focuses us. Ah, what? God's mercy that he chooses to focus us. God refocuses where we're at. We're just not sure where it goes, and he reaches down and taps the screen and says, right there, that's where we need to be looking. Verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the child, uh, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people. Oh, wait, wait, I want to pause there. Uh, and the Lord came down to see the city. Uh, this is so fantastic. Mm. Uh, okay, so what did the people say? They built this tower, and what, did they, what, what, did, what was the qualifier on there? They said, Let's build a tower that what? What does it do? That it touches the heavens. And so then God, okay, back in their worldview, ancient Near Eastern worldview, there are things that define God. God is above and God is first. Okay, so in the beginning, first, God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit was hovering over the waters. There are two, two ways in which the first is God and the one who is over all 
is God. So they think in their worldview, he's up there. He's in heaven. So let's build up. And that's where they're at. And so he built so high. They build this anthill so high that God, in his, in his mercy, doesn't say, oh, hey, look, that's what I do. If I were God, I've done that with anthills. It's cruel. It's kind of conflicted. Why did I just say that? I'm sorry if you love animals. Uh, uh, you crush it, right? It's, he could. We're ants. He could do that. But God, speaking to their doubt, speaking to their worldview, says, oh, you guys think you're going to be God. You're going to make a name for yourself. And he gets the Trinity together. I love this because he's going to use let us language. The Trinity is there. And he's like, hey, guys, where is that tower? I can't see. We, we got to go down. It is not up here. It did not make it to heaven. Let us go down. He says, and the Lord came down to see the city. And I would say, because he couldn't. It wasn't really that tall which the children of man had built. And the Lord said to the, tri, uh, to the Trinity, behold, they are one people, they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they can propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. All right. So we get, to this, uh, we get to this slide again, right? This is what the people of Babel just did, right? Now the whole earth was one language. Come, let us build. Come, let us make so that we will not be dispersed. Now, if we map over this, verse 7, what the Lord says, it's almost as though he's just saying, like, I'm just going to copy everything you just said, but actually say the right stuff this time. He says, come. And then they say, let us build a tower up. And he says, let us go down. They say, let us make a name great for ourselves. And he says, let us confuse their language. And they say, the whole point of this is so that we will not be dispersed. And then he even goes on to say, over the face of the whole earth. And then we find, verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there. And it goes even as far to say, over the face of the whole earth. It's not an accident. Like, this is not an accident. It's written this way. But there's one thing that doesn't match up. He says, let us make a name for ourselves and let us confuse their language. That doesn't actually, that's not a one-to-one -one there. So I'm actually going to move that in a nerdy way because I have to be nerdy. Uh, that goes to the top. There's one, er, uh, one language on the earth. Let us confuse their language. So what it's going to do is then it's going to leave unanswered here what God says, this one point. Let us make a name for ourselves. Everything you see in the white on the screen right now is the problem. Everything you see in the yellow is God's solution, how he's resolving to solve this. And everything you see in the red is the heart condition, the reason why he's doing this. Why is God acting this way? Because they forgot their purpose. Why would God oppose such unity? That's a question I would ask. It's because even after the flood, mankind is still prone to turn blessings into curses, to turn gifts into personal gain. The flood had not changed the nature of sinful human beings. What God saw as true of mankind before the flood was true of mankind after the flood and is still true of you and me today. And what is that truth? Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart 
we're only evil continually. The problem is not that these people are cultivating. The tower is no problem. The city is no problem. The problem is their heart. That's what's on the screen. The problem is that they're using a powerful tool that doesn't really have a moral quality to it. It's just culture and cultivating and, and technology. Those are, those are just things. And their evil hearts, like Lamex, are institutionalizing something that is ungodly. That's a problem. We do that. In our jobs, we sometimes think, church, there's a wall, work, and that's its own thing. It has its own set of rules. That's not true. Your job is your job, but you can use it for great good. You can use it for great evil. What you do in your free time can be used for great good, can be used for great evil. In your parenting, in your marriage, these are things and opportunities that God gives us that we could use for great good or great evil. Now I'm going to go just to the Babel problem. We could use them to glorify ourselves, make a name for ourselves, or get to work in the creative endeavor that we were designed for of bringing glory to God's name. When our priorities become blurry, whether that's as a society, whether that's at a church, at a church level, whether that's at a family level, whether that's at a work team level, or just as individuals, God focuses us through seasons of transition. I think some of this, this, uh, this confrontation that happens at Babel happens to us daily. It's seasons of transitions. Maybe you're moving from one position to another, from one company to another, from one location to another, from one school to another, from one relationship to another. In those seasons of transitions, oftentimes God makes things pop. It doesn't always make things pop, but it's silly of us to assume that it's just fate or chance happening and we're doing something different now. Is there wrong in thinking, maybe I need to reevaluate myself in this transition? Maybe I need to see it. Am I moving from Babel? Am I moving toward Babel? And sometimes he focuses us through seasons of transition, but other times he focuses us through making us question the source and strength of our brick and mortar. Oof, those are the ones that hurt. We get a, uh, a bad health report. We get uh, denied a grant. We, uh, we have unexpected expenses, sudden change of plans in our schedule. That might not be God punishing or cursing you, but there's always an opportunity to ask who, how, why your name might be made great. Why were you going for these? Why did this work so well? Did you have the bricks and mortar of faith? Or was it just chance, fate, it changed your course? Or is God actually in a process of focusing your heart? If you are in or have gone through one of these Babel-like seasons, you might find that the word confuse is used, uh, is used well here. You see, the word confuse is used back in uh, the word for uh, the world was corrupt, and so God would destroy it. This is from the flood. Those two words are very similar in Hebrew. Uh, the word that's used here very poetically, uh, Babel, 
is obviously Babel, the name of the city, but the confusing of languages, Balel, Babel was Balel, and it's so fun, you can just, they'll never forget it now. That, that, that thought, that confusion that's in there. That's how it feels sometimes in, in seasons of transition. Like, what am I? Am, am, am I? Do I have right information? Am I understanding your trajectory? Am my heart in the right spot here? Are you punishing me? Are you cursing me? Are you challenging me? Are you stretching me? There is that feeling, and it does feel kind of like the phone zooming in and out sometimes, and you feel crazy. I'm speaking as one who actually has been in this process because I'm so prideful. <laughs> it's comforting to know man is still the same. We can learn from these guys, but I think even more comforting than that is, 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 is then our next point, is that God is still the same and works with us this way. Because what's wrong with their hearts here is that he makes, uh, they say, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's hide behind our comfort. Things were great. Things were good. I don't want to change. Well, it's not unlike God to help us focus. God is not a God who's exclusively bent on withholding. He wants things done in the right way. The Lord God at Babel is the same Lord God of today. If we read a little bit, uh, uh, if we read uh, a little bit further ahead here, uh, into chapter twelve, something's going to happen here. Um, God calls a nomadic shepherd, not a city dweller, but a, a nomadic shepherd named Abram, and he says, "Hey, I got a plan for you." Now, I've, I've put this up here. It's actually Genesis 12, 2, not Genesis 1, 2. And he says to him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And here it is. I will make your name great. What is the point from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12? You don't make your name great. I do that. You didn't create you. I did that. You didn't make the garden that you're in and resource you for total abundance. I did that. You aren't created in your own image, nor is anyone else. I am. I, or not I am. I created you in my image. You didn't pick what your purpose was. I gave you that. So why are you building this tower? Why are you building this city? Why are you trying to make your name great? I make your name great. It's not like, no, 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 no. Your name is not great. He says it is. But I am the one who makes it great. Well, that sounds, that sounds nice. That's great literature. But is it true? Eyewitness to Jesus Christ living on earth, Apostle Matthew, he writes this to begin his letter to convince us who Jesus Christ is. He's a real man, he's a real fulfillment of a promise from old. He starts his whole gospel, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Did God make Abraham's name great? I would say, if you were in the lineage of Jesus Christ, your name is great. Isn't that incredible? I will make it great. Who would have imagined that Abraham would be the great, 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 great whatever of Jesus Christ? <laughs> when our priorities become blurry, God refocuses us so that we may glorify him. This last point was kind of a transition. He makes his name great. He can make us great, and he gives us things to do that. 
He gave us the garden. He created all the resources we needed to glorify his name. But it's kind of funny. In Genesis 1 through 11, you get the Father God creating, and the Old Testament's going to, or the New Testament's going to bring that up. The Father is initiating this whole thing. Uh, then you get this idea of this judgment and wrath and sin, and there's this salvation and this ark. And then you're going to find out that in the New Testament, you've got this judgment and wrath and sin and, and, and the salvation that comes from a cross and Jesus. So the, the Father is doing something, and, and then the, the Father is doing something, the Son is doing something, and the Son is doing something. And now here at Babel, at the end of this, 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 uh, this primordial history, is what we call it, uh, Genesis 1 through 11, we get this, this thing of Babel and the languages and what's going on here. Who's the other person in the Trinity that we've not addressed yet? <gasps> the Spirit. Acts 2 comes, and we see a return to Babel. So I'm going to actually read this. This is from the uh, uh, Christian Standard Bible. Um, Acts 2, uh, 1 through 12. Uh, Acts 2, 1 through 12 reads, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, the disciples were all together in one place. Here we go, assembling again. Suddenly a sound like a violent rushing of wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. This is just crazy. Uh, and then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. And then now here we go. We'll pick up on, uh, on verse 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devoted people from every nation under heaven. Under heaven, every nation, this is intentional. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and they were confused. What? That language again. They were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed saying, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues, and they were all astounded and perplexed. Now, it's going to go on to say, and then they asked, what is the meaning of this? That's the big question. And I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 2. I'll paraphrase a bit. Peter stands up and he says, hey guys, these magnificent works that they're saying in your own language, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And all the people say, oh, what do we need to do? And he says, repent, be baptized, believe. So I've heard it talked about that Acts 2 is a reversal of, of, of Babel. And God says he spread them into all the languages. But I think a reversal would mean that at Pentecost, they're all brought back to the same language, right? But that's not it. At Pentecost, I, I would almost suggest that maybe, maybe it's an overcoming of Babel. That the problem isn't that they were speaking one language. The problem is that they were using anything and everything they had for their own glory. Because see, what happens here is Jesus comes, salvation has come, and I think Babel was almost paving away thousands of years for that mission field, which then the Spirit comes down and says, I'm going to empower you to reach out. Babel is an effect of the sin there are, are the languages are a result of that sin. I didn't clear that part up, that you just have languages because of that sin. But I'm more than that. And the message is more than that. And so the Spirit will come and will get that message of salvation that the people of Babel didn't get, that the people of, uh, of, 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 of every time and Toledo pattern and generation after, after Abraham uh, would just continue to forget it and 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 forget it. 
The Spirit now is here. It can empower you to do the work that you were intended to do. You don't have to just sit here and wait and figure out what is our focus. Your focus is proclaiming Christ Jesus as Savior. And the Spirit will empower you with everything you need to do that. That is your bricks and mortar. So, two points. Oh, I'll go then to Acts 17 is one more. This is then reiterated by Paul. He steps up in Athens and he says, Oh, men of Athens. And he reasons this way. He says, and he made known for, uh, one man, uh, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. So Paul is explaining, this is the spread of people. This is Babel. And he said, this is the reason, that they should seek God. They're spread so that they might seek God. And perhaps, I love this, feel their way toward him. Oh, isn't that what faith feels like? It feels like just we're, we're all feeling together toward Christ that he is actually not far from each one of us. Mm. That's how Paul presents the gospel. When our priorities become blurry, God refocuses us so that we may glorify him. Here are two small points of application. Uh, these are not the only points, but maybe to get you thinking practically about what this means for us today. Uh, one of them is, is a phrase that I'll use. Uh, unity is greater than uniformity. At Babel, there was one language. They wanted to isolate that. They wanted everyone to be like me. But we find that in, in, in Jesus, that there is, a, there is a unity. What was similar about Noah and his family? Well, yeah, they were from the same family. But it was that they got on the ark. That's what made them different than the rest of the people. There was a unity there. What makes us different as Christians is that we have faith in Christ. You see, there's, there's a uniformity that can happen in, in our culture when we say, well, you have to be like us. You have to do things like us. You have to do church this way, or sing the song this way, or sing these songs, or, 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 or do whatever uh, you need to to be like us. But then there's this unity that comes. One of the things that I love about how we situate our, our, uh, our, our room here is that all of you are looking together, unified at the cross. Now, I'm standing under the cross because there's the Bible and the cross making sure that I am here preaching what needs to be. But you're all looking that way. That's, that's, that's our, our, uh, something that's intentional. We should think that way. What are we all doing? Because after this, we're all going to a whole bunch of different places, right? And we're going to go through a whole bunch of different trajectories. And then, God willing, we'll all come back next week and remember that we are unified in Christ. And we do that again. Unity over uniformity. You don't have to do it the same way as me, but we have to do it for the same reason. Jesus Christ and the salvation of souls. And then maybe here's a, the last point here, is um, the idea of, uh, of in your fruitfulness, multiply. What went wrong at Babel is that they took their productivity, they took their fruitfulness, and they used it for their own ends. They, didn't, they weren't fruitful and multiplied. So we have a lot of gifts in Parkview. We have a lot of gifts at North Campus. It would be one thing to leverage all those gifts uniquely forever and say, these certain people gifted this way are going to run the show and we're going to add a whole bunch of people to us. And we've got to think. But what I look at in the book of Acts is this thing called discipleship. 
is this thing called multiplication. It's this thing where Paul goes on a journey and then he takes someone with him and says, hey, you're going to do the journey next time. So I'm going to teach you how to do it. Come alongside me and go that way. In our culture today, we are conditioned to have superstars and champions and they're untouchable and we just feed them so they do that. In your homes, you've been given parenting. Not so that your kids know that you're the king, but so that you can help them become and multiply what you know. In your church, we are called together so that we train up people in the gospel with their skills, with their, with their gifts, with their passions, so that we can make more churches, make more leaders, make more of what's good there, not just simply grow and feed off the few. That's one reason why we think serving is so wonderful, is it's one way to break that cycle that only a few people run the show. As we all get in, we all make it happen. I promise you, without the 20-some people that are doing something today voluntarily, this would not happen. It would be me, maybe some lights on, because I think I know how to turn them on, and I'd be talking, and it'd be cold. That's it. This whole thing happens because we all come together. I wonder what would happen if we move to a process, that 9 a.m., as a form of incubating a multiplication. What if we did that? What if we multiplied that? What needs to be multiplied to have that second service and to do it really well? What needs to happen so that Johnson County can see more uh, Bible-centered, Christ-centered ministry? We've got people that, that, that aren't pastors that come to our campus, that come to Parkview Church, that are going out and doing ministry uh, in, a, in, a, in a professional ministry kind of a way. But then as I'm looking around, I see a whole bunch of people that are going to go out into the world as called messengers of the gospel here in about a few minutes. How are we raising each other up and sharpening each other to go and carry that message clearly? There is salvation. There is hope. It's in Jesus. That is a way in that habit, in that rhythm, how we don't use those bricks and mortar for our own towers and our own cities. We just need to always think of our, of our city, of our, of our church, of our families, as maybe a city with part of the wall gone. It's not safe unless the Lord guards it. And maybe that'd be a nice way to sit in that tension that God teaches us in the midst of that focus, always seeing that Christ and God is touching us right there. It's saying, focus on Christ. And all the rest is still part of the picture. Focus on him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for those at Babel who uh, learned a very hard lesson for us. Thank you for your forgiveness because I'm not sure we've actually learned that lesson. Help us to find resonance, real resonance with the story here. Help us to not simply think of the problems that the people of Babel had or the problems that someone I'm struggling with has that if they just figured out that they were building Babel, then they'd be better. Help it hit home with us and our hearts individually. Forgive me for building tower, for seeking security to protect my tower. I pray that however you need to move us as a people, 
If you need to crush our city, if you need to scatter us, let us be open to that. But my deeper, honest prayer is that you would just use us to proclaim your glory, to double down on gospel-centered ministry, the winning of souls for you. There's so much that we can do individually. There's an incredible amount. You even acknowledge it here that we can do together. I pray that you unite us in Christ to affect real gospel change of lives turned towards you in our city, in our county, in our world. Thank you for this task. Thank you for Genesis, for, for explaining to us the purpose and for explaining how we go ahead. We love you. We trust you. Please lead us. Amen.